Welcome everyone to the Luke Cage podcast by Fantastic Geek, your official, unofficial voice of the Marvel Cinematic Community. My name is Matt and joining me as always is Pete. Hello, Pete. What's wrong? Share the love. The Luke Cage podcast by Fantastic Geek for episode 204, I Get Physical, is brought to you by Jersey Ice. It's just the thing to drop into your Bushmaster room. Wow. Uh, with that, Pete, here we are the last Thursday in June. Next Thursday, the first Thursday in July, that's when we'll be going to see Ant-Man and the Wasp. We'll be talking about it, of course, on the Pop Culture Podcast feed. And don't forget, we have our own Marvel movie feed as well, where you get, wait for it, all the Marvel movies. Absolutely. So excited with the buzz of Ant-Man. Going to be checking out a little bit earlier than that. Uh, Matt and I always go see it in the theater as soon as we can, though, have our tickets ready to go. In the meantime, we'll be back to Cloak and Dagger. Uh, we will be back at Luke Cage. All the Marvel goodness all the time here at Fantastic Geek. And now the lowdown where we review what's going on in the episode. Luke Cage is walking home, past a Dunkin' Donuts like a boss. It's the end of the last episode, though from a slightly different perspective. Luke Cage photographed and geotagged and punched to the ground by Bushmaster. They fight with Luke getting kicked out by a spinning kick by way of Bushmaster, the stone the builders refused. Hey, that's a reference to Matthew 2142. Jesus saith unto them, Did ye never read in the scriptures the stone which the builders rejected? The same is become the head of the corner. This is the Lord's doing and it is marvelous in our eyes. The credits show that the episode is written by Matthew Lopes and directed by Sally Richardson Whitfield. Luke wakes up, a crowd led by D.W. surprised to see him downed. Luke wanders to Pop's barbershop, seemingly concussed and spitting blood. He calls Claire and gets no answer. How's that for feeling castrated now? Bobby Fish arrives, looking svelte, and gets brought up to speed about the Jamaican who's just as fast as Luke and doesn't need a super suit. Cut to Nandy and Bailey, best cop friends ever, talking show tunes and YouTubes of Luke Cage fail. It's all laughs in the room that has two desks, except Misty is the only one worried about this upstanding citizen who got knocked out. Rittenhauer reminds Misty she's not to work on any freelance cases, and she bounces for physical therapy. At Harlem's Paradise, Madam Councilwoman has made over $330 million on her insider stock trading now that Altrius has been sold. But to Shades, it's all funny paper. They can't sell their stock nor move their gun-running money. Their stock talk is interrupted by ESPN footage of Luke getting whooped. It's exclusive footage, sold by DW, who's nonetheless still selling HD copies on the street, despite Luke wagging his finger. But back to Harlem's paradise, Mariah is told Bushmaster's yardy yard is now all of Harlem. Mariah is ready to bounce with that funny money and hit the international road. Her and Shades get all steam-talky and such. Shades tells Comanche to watch Mariah, and Shades bounces. Comanche does just that, bringing Mariah her tea and advice about... Valuations, risk benefits of a fixed price offer versus tender, and such. He thinks she's being scammed by Piranha, but she tells him to leave. 
Back to Luke, who's at Claire's apartment, finding it empty, excluding a worker cleaning up, and the super, who tells him to hit the road after taking one last thing from Claire, an envelope. He meets up with Misty, who is indeed working the Bushmaster Nigel Jamaica case, and they drive to Brooklyn and talk Luke's relationship troubles. But his troubles aren't such that she'll let him stay at her place. Misty puts on her bulletproof vest, grabs a military-grade shotgun, and into the warehouse they go. The place looks empty, and in a locked room, they find Nigel, minus that head. Tomas from the NYPD is surprised to hear Luke was tailing the Yardies, a.k.a. the Stylers. Brooklyn doesn't want a Jamaican gang war, but does recognize John McIver, Bushmaster. Turns out the warehouse is owned by Gideon Shaw, who's being held by ICE. Misty's headed there, and Luke's headed back to Harlem. On the bus back, he reads Claire's letter and looks all heartbroken. Intercut is a sweet musical number at Harlem's Paradise and Tilda, looking to recreate Bushmaster's powerful order. Luke arrives at Tilda's shop, asking about any large sales to a large Jamaican man. She asks him to recap season one. He does. She gives him an herbal pain remedy, but thinks he has a concussion. We pick up with Misty and Tomas talking to Gideon Shaw, who shares the story about the man at the top and the man at the bottom. The man at the top of the hill has a full belly and sight for miles, but the man at the bottom can walk up the hill any time and kill him. Is Mariah living on the top of the hill? Cut to Bushmaster, who walks on up into Harlem's paradise, on up to Mariah's second-story box. She offers him a drink. Bushmaster rum, a private stock, and doesn't pick up the hints that Bushmaster's dropping about a MacGyver who helped build Harlem's paradise. He hopes she'll enjoy her time on the hill. And hey, where's Comanche? The story stays with Bushmaster, who goes to Gwen's restaurant, a hero to his fellow Jamaicans. Turns out Shades has trailed him there, too. Shades calls Comanche, who is still missing, but we see that he's meeting with Rittenauer, a snitch to the popo, and the NYPD wants to know what's new in the zoo. Back at the police precinct, there's an engraved invitation from Rand, from Danny and Colleen, and <gasps> a robot arm, the first thing we saw about Luke Cage season two last summer. I wish this was a surprise. At Pops, Luke and Bobby talk about good news and bad news. Bad news is Bobby's daughter needs a liver transplant. Good news is Bobby can be a donor. Pa Bobby reminds Luke that he needs to be a hero all the time. Time for Bobby to leave too, and he does, out the back. Through the front, a process server delivers something legal. Luke Cage, you've been served. Pete, now we're going to talk some bad... Shut your mouth. We're just talking about bad guys, Petey. Let's start with the capo of capos in this episode, Pete, John Bushmaster McIver. Should I feel guilty for almost, I'm not going to lie, I am rooting for him at this point. I mean, he is a wonderful, wonderful villain. And particularly given that we don't, at this stage, have a really 100% clear idea of why he's doing the things we have a bit that we'll talk about uh, and certainly the particulars of his plan you know whether it's space weapons or whether it's you know gonna level harlem or whatever we don't have those details he has a little motivation from his past he's out to get the baddest baddie in harlem in mariah and i'm rooting for him too it's very clear given the man on the hill story told by gideon shaw 
um, the whole shakedown of Mariah in um, uh, Harlem's Paradise that his family was the labor was was the back upon which uh, the Stokes Empire was built. Um, if not for his brutality and and beating up the guy we all love in in Luke, I think we'd all openly be rooting for this guy. I like uh, in particular the scene at Harlem's Paradise where he's just, uh, pardon me, where she, where Mariah is just not getting what he's putting down in terms of, hey, my family has a connection to all of this and I feel, you know, uh, disenfranchised and I feel like I have a, uh, you know, like like I am the rock upon which Harlem will be built, not you. And I think in in less deft actors' hands, it would feel a little... You know, like, oh, she doesn't understand because they need dramatic tension. But here it just comes off as Mariah is so self-centered that she's not picking up the fact that he's trying to explain where he's coming from. Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely to the point where uh, not getting the references, um, the the Bushmaster, the, the specificity with which he's speaking uh, even though she's trying to be pointed in her message. Which I suppose is a perfect transition to talk about Mariah, who here, I mean, <laughs> here we are, you know, roughly the one-third mark, give or take, uh, one-quarter mark, and she seems very, very high on the hog. Here she's made $330 million, at least on paper. Uh, it, it's observed so wisely by Shades that she has... <laughs> She has no practical asset, uh, access to the stock money, nor can she move the gun money. So she's actually, you know, bank poor, but on paper, super rich. Uh, she does not see the fact that there's many, many episodes to come in which she's probably going to have a downward spiral. Yeah. And I love the practicality of Shades pointing this out. This is, this is stuff he can't count. It's stuff he can't see. Um, it's not street for him even though the street until the reveal later on that comanche is uh you know wired for sound um an informant a mole that uh it's the the aspect of of being a player on the ground pete also a a, a baddie in the periphery here is piranha jones the money man yeah, I love that uh, she calls this out. If you can't explain the scam to a seven-year-old, uh, it it must be, uh, you know, a scam itself. And uh, yeah, I think even with the reveal that Comanche is talking to Rittenauer, uh, Piranha Jones is chewing through that Stokes Dillard cash and it's a nice moment for comanche as well when he's explaining all this stock stuff that he learned in prison i mean it would be much easier writing to just be like guy went to prison got jacked came back continued to work for the bad guys and maybe by and large that has been the case for the comanche character but just to add to the fact that he learned something of tremendous value in prison and no one is listening to him when it comes to the stock world I, don't know, I really enjoyed it. I really, really enjoyed the the, the the character of Comanche, who I know nonetheless will be 
we'll be talking about as a bad guy shortly. Yeah, and I think that um, with the the smooth talking piranha, uh, you know, drinking with Mariah at ten o'clock in the morning, really trying to live up to some kind of image. They've they've gotten this deal with the plastics magnet through the blackmail. Um, again, that idea that they're living above their means. And as you mentioned, Shades is the only one to kind of really point that out. Uh, I suppose Comanche to a point as well, but Shades really is the one to hammer home on it. And he's kind of somewhat in the periphery in this episode, but also you can sense if the story is going to make a, a, a break between him and Mariah or mommy, uh, <laughs> um, if that's going to happen, then, I mean, we see the seeds for sure planted here or for sure starting to, to poke through the, the soil if they hadn't been planted in prior episodes. Well, that was the question I think that I had watching this. Am I supposed to be aroused by the shades, Mariah, pillow talk? Am I supposed to be repulsed? Both? Neither? I'm not so sure. I, I just don't know. There's been all the subtext of him with an older woman, whether it's explicit or whether it's hinted at. And now uh, we've thrown the daughter back in the mix and there's all this money on the table and he's trying to keep tabs on uh, the people who are touching it last on the list is comanche pete i mean he's a is he now officially a bad guy for everybody i mean he works for mariah so he's up to no good there uh mariah doesn't like him so he's kind of a negative force for her he's now also snitching to the popo so there's there's that um and then the police i'm sure don't completely trust him so <laughs> he he's he's everybody's villain yeah, I mean, it's been floated before the enemy of my enemy, but even with that, I think we're too smart to trust it. Um, did he spit in her coffee? Uh, I half thought that uh, Mariah had poisoned Bushmaster's uh, rum when he drank it the way she was looking at him, uh, and and maybe the, uh, the Obeya magic was going to uh fight it off or he'd spit the poison out or whatever um i don't know what to think matt but i know that when you've got a uh cooperating witness here it never spells good news well i don't know what comes after this episode but i'm gonna i'm gonna live in the hopes that after the dust settles with all this that uh i don't know we have comanche getting the promotion somehow maybe like taking his money and being like you know what i'm just gonna go open a dunk of donuts or something <laughs> the big picture where we break down theories about the road ahead pete where should we start Let's begin, Matt, with what's wrong with Luke. I mean, Pete, I've seen enough episodes of ER to be able to properly diagnose a concussion at this point. Okay, <laughs> I'm 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 TVMD at this point. Um, but I, I mean, in all seriousness, I was thinking, hey, this kind of looks like what I think a concussion is, even before it was kind of hammered home by Tilda. 
Um, I just take it at that. I mean, I don't think that Bushmaster somehow weakened Luke's uh, strength. Uh, for a brief moment, I was like, but wait, what about the voodoo doll? No, no, that's Cloak and Dagger, our other podcast. Um, but uh, yeah, I just think he got clocked as hard as you can get hit without there being, you know, other kinds of damage, but uh, definitely walking around with a concussion. I particularly enjoyed the way that they shot the episode early on uh, to make you feel that effect. I mean, right from the get-go, we don't know concussion. And uh, even then, you know, Tilda is not currently a practicing physician for her to judge that just based on somebody squinting is, shall we say, a, a little far-fetched. But, um, you know, the, the angles, the, the light... Uh, the noises, you, you really felt it there, particularly as you were trying to get a grip on, okay, has the voodoo, has the, the uh, you know, stuff that uh, Bushmaster uh, is practicing, is taking uh, in some way affecting Luke. Well, this is an episode directed by Sally Richardson Whitfield, uh, a name I must confess I was not super familiar with uh, until until looking her up after this podcast. Pete, we've seen her work before. Uh, she directed Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. episode uh, 517, I believe was the number. Uh, that's Inside Voices, so one from this past season. Uh, she, As an actress, she's been in a ton of stuff. I mean, stuff that everybody's seen. Uh, I know I Am Legend she was in, uh, a bunch of TV shows, CSI Miami, et cetera, et cetera. So a real a real talent here and somebody who, you know, in the course of this year now has notched uh, two episodes of uh, Marvel TV, also an episode of Black Lightning, some Shadowhunters. So somebody kind of very in the uh, – in kind of the comic, bro- comic book world uh, niche, uh, an episode of Punisher Season 2 coming up uh, whenever that releases. Wow. So. Yeah, somebody who very, very much, I mean, I think the talent was on screen and somebody who knows the industry very well. Piranha has that power of attorney, Matt. Clearly, that's a good idea, right? No, uh, although he certainly <laughs> spins it as as it's going to insulate her. It also was a story way to be like, look, don't forget. Mariah has all this money on paper that I actually am the one on paper who owns. Um, I would be shocked if they don't do something with that. I mean, this has been such a potent and such a rich season so far that I think it's easy to forget that we're only four episodes in. I mean, things are moving. The characters are hypnotic. Um, There's plenty of story to go and it's never too early to start to look for I don't know for for bridges that they're building so the bridge can you know fall apart with our characters in the middle of it. Absolutely, in that regard, Matt uh, Parad- Harlem's Paradise here put up as collateral. Uh, Piranha with that power of attorney. I don't know. I I think these moves hand in hand spell trouble down the road. I very much sense. From the end of last episode with Claire's exit, Bobby Fish's exit in this episode, the Harlem's Paradise stuff, uh, <laughs> the fact that Mariah survived last season, I very, very much sense that this season is going to be about you know, burning the boats and, and drawing a line and not turning back. I would be shocked if we get Bobby Fish and Claire 
back and if mariah lives through the end of the season and still has her home's paradise so that next season we can start out the season the way we started this season no 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 it seems like they're planting seeds to just burn it all down and have some kind of fresh start pete i i can't i can't imagine though who could be a a romantic lead for luke cage moving on in the future you know future defenders seasons Uh, i don't know maybe we can look to the comics for some kind of help there (laughs) Tilda seems to be cooking up a storm there, trying to figure out what the Bushmaster was doing. Um, what what's going on there? She she gets to the to the nightshade. Uh, is is this something she's going to try to recreate? Will uh, will Mariah's daughter suddenly be super powered? Mariah's daughter might become the Bush Mistress here. Bush Mistress versus Bushmaster. I mean. Ooh. You know, we kind of have Bushmaster as the Luke Cage analog of sorts. You know, the, uh, the, uh, oh, who was the bad guy in the Ed Norton Hulk movie who was just anti Hulk? The, well, eventually, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm thinking of the leader, uh, the Abomination. Abomination. My, my brain kept telling me Apocalypse, and I was saying, no, that's the wrong, wrong comic book universe. Um, yeah, it's kind of low hanging fruit comic book wise to be like, look, you're, villain is the same as you but bad like ironmonger is a bad guy in an iron suit to fight iron man so pete let's triple down here Bushmaster, Bushmistress, luke cage big kind of the good the bad and the ugly showdown in the end of the season let's bring it on tilda touching on luke matt uh might not be coffee in their future but could they get a cup of that herbal tea <laughs> well maybe and let me say say pete though there is some though there may be some sparkle to my voice here i'm still wagging my finger i'm not accusing luke of looking for that rebound right away but i know in this episode he's asking his uh single lady friend if he can have uh sleepover privileges albeit just to sleep over but still that seemed to be a little bit of a stretch and then now little magic there with tilda can we let claire who left you you know after the whole speech about claire you're gonna take castrate me you're gonna take away my manhood by telling me things with your female brain can you maybe spend an episode where he's down in the dumps the entire time before asking for can i sleep over here hey can we go there whatever it might be last one for me matt who served luke and i ain't talking about the bushmaster Oh, that I think is a really, really great question because I have no idea. I know it's such a TV cliche to be like, you got served. This is the first time I can remember seeing on TV where somebody says, I'm from the such and such of the such and such. Um, I don't know if that's always the case. I don't know if you can just, Pete, I don't know if, you know, lost, I don't know if a lawyer can hire, you know, good old pete to go serve somebody a thing if you need to be properly licensed or whatever this sounded though like it was some sort of uh summons from the state or 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 kind of state lowercase s you know not necessarily the state of new york but i'm wondering maybe you know are the police charging him with something is the city charging him with something that that kind of thing heck do we go grand has it finally caught up that he is not a licensed uh or or, pardon me uh, a registered uh superpowered person under the Sokovia Accords. All options available for next week. 
Well, you know who hasn't served us but helps us serve them, Matt? That is the good people who head over to patreon.com slash fantastic geek. Indeed, they help us continue to uh, address the uh, the costs of our bandwidth and our storage and our techity tech tech. And uh, I'll just mention ever so quickly, too, that uh, our supporters on Patreon also let us continue to kind of be independent. Uh, we had somebody put out some feelers for an advertising thing, and, and we did not like what they wanted us to say. Part of what Patreon allows us to do is have that flexibility to say, no, if we if we want to say we like something, we're going to like it. Or if we're going to give an ad, it's going to sound like this, not sound like Matt and Pete can't can't wait to talk about this wonderful thing. You know, it'll be clear what the lines are. And that's all made possible by our patrons on Patreon. Yes. So thank you again to everybody who is able and willing to contribute. Everybody who contributes gets access to exclusive podcast content, and then there's all sorts of levels from there. So thanks again for all your help. Word on the street where we hear from you, the listener, and Pete, we are so lucky that our pal Mike Sorensen on Twitter, that's at Warcry underscore 75, he tells us things about which we do not know. He's got some lowdown on the on the 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 pistoles, the weapons in this episode. He says Luke Cage, season two, episode four, opens with another weapon I'm a big fan of. Canon 5D, probably the Mark IV. Looks like the 24-105 lens on it. Sorry, Mike, if I'm butchering all this technical stuff here. Handheld and moving the way it was, the uh, the way it was, though, uh, that footage would be rough to look at. And he follows up and says, saw the camera strap better late in the episode. It was a Mark III, not a Mark IV. Still a very competent shooter. Uh, and then generally, Pete, he says, finished the season today. Still say, pound for pound, Luke Cage is the best character-driven series of the Netflix bunch. High, high praise there. Wow. have to soak that one in as we continue to watch. Uh, we also have a tweet from Danny Hernandez. That's at Woosh Danny H on Twitter. And he says, super intrigued on this Bushmaster character on the limited amount we have seen so far. Uh, he had sent that I, certainly before you and I watched episode 204. So some more background on Bushmaster this episode. Hopefully uh, Danny is, ex- is as excited as we are to learn more about him. So, Pete, looking ahead, as we have Cloak and Dagger on the radar, as we have more Luke Cage on the radar, as we have Ant-Man and the Wasp on the radar, how can people be in touch with you to share their MCU thoughts? You can find me on Twitter at Peter, P-I-E-T-E-R-J-K-E-T-E-L-A-A-R, 10,024 followers, can't be wrong. And while I'm personally on Twitter as Looking Back Lost, do be in touch with the podcast. Visit fantasticgeek.com. You can leave a comment there. Check us out on Gmail, Instagram, and Twitter, where we are Fantastic Geek as well. But we Pete, there's more. Facebook.com slash Fantastic Geek with the PH, all one word, like it today. Those listening on the Pop Culture Podcast feed can look forward to a Cloak and Dagger episode tomorrow. If you're just here for Luke Cage, we'll be back on Sunday with more. With that, Pete, I will say adios to all the listeners and give you the final word. I'm all talked out. Thanks for the ride.